I believe Daniel, the book of Daniel, is probably one of the most uh, applicable books in the Bible for where we are right now. It's an exilic book, or it's it's talking about the great exile of God's people when God's people got ripped out of their land, out of their prosperity, out of the land of milk and honey because of they were being they were being disobedient. They get ripped out of, of God's promise for them because they were they they'd taken their God's promise for granted, basically. And inside of exile, we see leaders like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They begin to rise up inside of a culture. And frankly, it's very like our culture. It's, it was a polytheistic culture. They believed in all these different gods. They believed in all these different philosophies of life. They believed that you, know, you can just basically find your own way, be a good person, and, and it's all going to work out. Make the right sacrifices to whatever god you choose, and it's all going to work out. They, they even had atheists in them, back then. Isn't that great? It's very similar to what we're dealing with. And you might be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, Pastor Josh, we're not in exile. The enemy of God hasn't ripped us out of our promised land. We're not, we're not in slavery. Or are we? Or are we? You begin to look at our culture and our society and the impulses that we have. Maybe we just are, maybe we are in exile. Maybe the last time you paid your taxes, you felt like a slave, right? Can I get an amen there? Like, wait a minute. Well, I don't understand this. Uh, this is the land of the free and the land of the possibility and opportunity. And I don't have anything left. The very issue of our technology is making me feel like I'm in exile. Like, just the, the very impulse I have to grab my phone as soon as that dumb thing beeps. What's worse, I think, is just what's going on in our society with substance abuse, uh, with our compromise for substance I mean, you know this by now. If you don't know this, ask somebody that's young. Marijuana is legal in this, in this town. Now, I, look, if you need it for medical reasons, I'm okay with that. If you need opiates for medical reasons, I'm okay with that. But you've got to know, in the back of your mind, there is an issue that you could get addicted to it. And just as long as you're honest with yourself, let's do it. I want you healthy. Medication is there to make you healthy. But this attitude that we have that we've made it for recreational use... Like, it's killing our kids' motivation. It, it really is. That, it's just, it, it's got to stop. It, it, we gotta, we got to stand up and say no. So I, I think that we've, we're, we've gone into exile into this area. Our society is being enslaved by drugs, alcohol, addictions of all kinds. And we need to be aware of it. We need to be honest to what's going on. And Daniel is. Now, Daniel, uh, he's an amazing figure because he is faithful his entire life. The book of Daniel starts off when he was a young guy. And the story that we're going to read today, he's not young. He's now 80, 90 years old. And yet he's still living the, state, the same faithful lifestyle. As far as we know, we well... I mean, of course, Daniel sinned. Here's the amazing thing about the book. He doesn't, 
We don't know what he did. He is a person of integrity. Uh, you know, our favorites, of course, are King David. We love King David. But the guy was a murderer and a philanderer, ladies' man. I mean, he was, you know, we don't have any record of Daniel doing anything that is morally, you know, compromising. And by far, he is the, one of the most accurate prophets. Uh, he predicts things in detail. Kingdoms, princes, even things that are going on in our own time. He predicts it in detail. And get this. We'll, maybe we'll look at this one next week. He predicts to the day when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the donkey. To the day. Like, and we know that it was written way before Jesus was around. We've got archaeological proof of that. Okay, so here we go. Uh, let's look at Daniel chapter 6. So turn to Jan- Daniel chapter 6, and we'll start off at verse 1. You know this story. You know it because it's one of the classics. It's Daniel in the lion's den. Remember this story? Okay. When was the last time you heard... Daniel in the lion's den preached from an adult pastor. Have I ever done it? I don't think that I have. I'm trying to think. I've been thinking about this a lot. I don't think that I have. But when was the last time you've heard it? It's probably been a while. So this is... Okay, I want you just to, like, to strip out the whole, you know, the, the, the being in Sunday school thing and the vinyl animals and all that. Now, this is, this is going to apply to you today because the story is important. It's not just a fable. It's not just a fairy tale. It happened. This is, this is a real story of a real event. And Daniel, of course, was a real guy. And all the kings that he served, they were also real. Okay, so let's go ahead and start. This is the third king that Daniel serves. He, served, he starts serving Nebuchadnezzar, who was an evil man, running an evil empire. Burned down half of the Near East, murdered, pillaged, everything. And Daniel serves him, and he serves him faithfully. Yeah, then he serves Belshazzar, uh, the writing on the wall, and he serves him faithfully. And now he, he's actually... Uh, serving somebody that he actually predicted was going to come by. And this is King Darius of the Medes and the Persians. Okay. Verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, that's basically governors, senators, politicians, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over, over them. One of them was Daniel. The satraps made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So Daniel is one of the, the three top leaders of the empire. He's one of the best. And his job is to make sure that the king does not suffer for anything. Maybe that, that the king is successful. The pagan king. Verse 3, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his, underline this, exceptional qualities. Daniel had exceptional qualities that the the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So the king's going to make him number one. Forget about number two, number three, number four. Forget about all 120. Daniel's in charge of everybody. And he's 80-something years old. 
At this, the administrators and the satraps, they tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of the government affairs. Okay, so now the guys are a little jealous. And uh, this is really confusing to me. A politician trying to dig up dirt on somebody else. I've never heard of such a thing. Oh, my goodness. What? Can't be. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel was like, he was like the perfect believer. He had this attitude towards excellence. He, uh, he was not corruptible. He, 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 I mean, corruption is how, how politics worked, right? Everybody was corrupt. Everybody was getting a kickback. There was money under the table all over the place. You bought favor in, in, you know, to, get, to get your political views met. Today we call them lobbyists. But back then they were just, you know, anyway. Everybody was corrupt. But they could find no corruption in him. And finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis or charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with his law. And so maybe you know the rest of the story. They convinced Darius, let's have an awesome Darius day. Let's have you are so cool Darius day, kind of like our pink, pink flamingo thing. Like they're making a big event and they're saying, Darius, you're so awesome. And on this day, during this period, we can only worship you. What do you think? And he's like any other king who needs his ego fed. He says, yeah, let's do it. Sign me up. And he says, and if no one does it, then we get to kill them, right? He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Let me sign it. And that's what happens. And then we know that Daniel, because of his lifestyle, because of his commitment to the Lord, because of his unwillingness to bend the knee, he doesn't do it. Years earlier, Daniel got his, his marching orders. He got his philosophy for ministry, if you will, from Jeremiah. Jeremiah writes to the exiles from Jerusalem, and he tells the exiles, he says, look, you guys are exiled. You guys are slaved. And it's going to be a good 70 years. You're going to have to do this. So, dig in your heels. Have families integrate into the culture, participate in commerce, participate in education, make sure your kids go to college in the secular colleges. Get involved. But don't be a part of them. Be in that world, but don't be a part of that world. Daniel, again, is one of the most prolific accurate prophets in the Bible. What was his job? What was his role? What, was he, what did he do for a living? The politician. The vice president. He was not a pastor. He was not a prophet. He was not a priest. Do you see what this means for you? You know what it means for you? He had influence. He had huge amounts of influence over four kings. And yet, his calling was not a call to the priesthood. His calling was not even a call to be a prophet. He just used his prophetic gifts, are you ready for this? To bless Babylon. What? 
And sometimes, uh, sometimes you, you, I don't know, you look at us preachers on stage or whatever. And you have a burning in your heart to serve God. And I want to acknowledge that burning in your heart. God has made you to burn for him. And you think, and this is a lie from the enemy. Some of you are called into ministry. I don't know who you are yet, but some of you are called to, to do what I do, or Pastor Mako, Pastor John, Pastor Larry. Some of you are called to do this, to be the priest or a prophet or whatever. Some of you are. But most of us are called to serve where we're at and to be the influence in the society, in the marketplace, in the politics, in the entertainment industry. That's where God's called you to do. So what I'm here to tell you, this is just look at Daniel's life. Look, out, look at the impact that he had. He changed the world. He saved his people. And he did it from a platform that was not in the temple. You can do this too. You can do this too. You don't have to aspire to be in ministry. You need to aspire to do what God's called you to do and be faithful to that calling. That's what he's called you to do. And when you do, do you realize that we're on equal plane? We believe in the priesthood of all believers. Is Daniel any better than Jeremiah? No, they're the same. Then they just have two different jobs. One's a politician, one's a prophet. Isn't that cool? Don't you want to have that kind of influence? Here's the thing about Christian culture, in our, in specifically what's going on right now in American Christianity. One, you're, really, you're a really nice Christian. You, you're a peacemaker. I'm a peacemaker, by the way. And you don't want to, you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to stir anything up. Uh, it's live and let live, and you're just gonna you're just gonna let people do whatever they want to do, and be okay with it in this pluralistic society. And and as a, as, as a result, because of your big giant heart, not to offend anybody, you don't stand up for truth and righteousness, because you don't want to make anybody mad. And then you take certain precepts and principles and and commandments from the Bible, and you say, you know what? I guess that's in there, but it, maybe it doesn't apply to me, and maybe it doesn't apply to our society. And, and so we begin to compromise, and we begin to water down the gospel. And so that is one, one area that we've taken in Christian life inside the, inside the community. We're like, let's just be happy with everybody. And, you know, let's, I'll, I'll put the coexist sticker on my car, too, next to my fish sign. And that's what we've done. Do you know Christians like this? Now, the other side of the coin are the Christians that are so militant and that are so dogmatic, mean, nasty. You've seen them. They argue all the time on Facebook, and they don't have anything nice to say about anybody or anything. And if they didn't have atheists to complain about, they'd be complaining about another Christian denomination. And Daniel does it. Do you see what Daniel does? Like, here's the, here's the unfortunate truth. If you are a Christian, if you've stepped across the line of faith, um, the unfortunate truth is you're a little strange. You're strange because you don't quite fit. When you step across the line of faith, and if you're an American, uh, there's a problem because you're no longer an American. You're a king. You're a child of the kingdom of heaven. Like, this country that you were born into now becomes your second country because your first country is in heaven. And so, 
in reality, yes, we are exiles in our own country. And opposition will come. Persecution. Somebody calls you a name and it's persecution. Our brothers and sisters are being murdered in other places right now. This is not persecution, folks. This is easy. We need to give them a little bit of grace. Because what we have, what we carry, uh, what has attracted our heart to Jesus, it is offensive. Because what we have says, you know what? Being a nice, good, moral person isn't good enough. You need to have a relationship with Jesus. Like, people don't like that. Like, it actually comes off as being arrogant. And so they don't understand your heart. They don't understand the grace that God's given you. And so we need to not get so upset when atheists get mad at us. We need to pray that God opens their heart. Right, I want you to look what Daniel did. He's, he faced, obviously, he faced opposition, right? All kinds of opposition because he stood for truth. He had a lot of people that wanted to kill him. Like, literally kill him. Persecuted. And yet, kings fell in love with him. I repeat that again because my wife's phone just went off. (laughs) Kings fell in love with him. Pagan kings, evil men. Nebuchadnezzar probably had the spirit of Antichrist in him. He was so bad. And he fell in love with Daniel's heart. And so if we are walking this true Christian thing out, yes, there will be opposition because Jesus said so. Jesus said that, Blessed are those who are persecuted in my name, for this is the kingdom of heaven. You will be persecuted if you are a Christian. But if you are a Christian, the world will also fall in love with you because you have something that they don't. Every single king that Daniel served, they fell in love with him. They have, the way that it reads, there's an affection. Like Nebuchadnezzar, mean, nasty guy, has an affection for Daniel. Darius, if we get to it, has an affection for him. So now we know what's going on. So Darius has to lock Daniel up because Daniel does this. Let's start off at uh, uh, verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that a decree had been uh, published, that he has to bow down and worship Darius, he went home to his house upstairs, in his upstairs room, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees. And he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went uh, as a group. They found Daniel praying, asking God for help. So they went to the king, and they tattled on him. And uh, let's pull up the, the picture. So Daniel is in Babylon, and then he gets exiled into Persia. This is the, this is the hanging gardens of Babylon. This is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And Daniel probably designed it. He probably built it. And he was probably in one of these, uh, one of these porches, kneeling down, praying, in sight of everybody to see him. He's willing to give up that mansion for God. He's willing to give up that luxury. He even says that, you know, he goes in, he's like, I'm not going to eat any more tasty food or drink any more tasty stuff until God breaks through and answers my prayer. All right, for the sake of time, I'm going to paraphrase the rest of the story because I think that you know it. I think that you know what happens next. 
Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. There's a little bit of a misunderstanding or confusion about what lions are in the Bible. There's some good lions and there's some bad lions. The New Testament tells us about the lion in, the, in Peter, where the lion that, that walks around roaring and he's, it is, it's the enemy of God. He's roaring and he's, he's searching for somebody to devour. That's one lion. And then we have the lion of Judah, kind of like Aslan. He's like our Jesus. He's our, he's our king that comes in and saves us. So what's going on with the lions in Daniel's lion pit? I don't think it's either. I don't think they're good lions or bad lions. I just think they're lions, and they're going to eat you. It's like the circle of life. It's Simba is in the pit. My my, my kid was watching Lion King yesterday, so sorry for the illustration, but it gets in there. What's going on is God's encounter with nature. It is natural for hungry lions to eat people and eat anything else. And so we get a metaphysical, real miracle that takes place. Darius does not want to lock up his most talented, beloved person, his friend. He doesn't want to lock him up, but he, he did something stupid, and he's got to do it because he's a king. So he locks him up, put, places his seal, his signet ring, rolls this big, giant stone over this hole, and seals it up so that he can't sneak him out later. And in the darkness, Daniel is there. I really wish I could be there and know what Daniel was going through. Was he scared or was he confident? I think, I don't know, human nature is human nature. Like if you're, in a, if you're in a dark pit and you can't see anything and you hear lions walking around roaring, it would probably scare you. I don't care how awesome of a man of God you are. I don't know. I think that would scare me. And all night long, he's there by himself in the darkness, in a, in a pit of death. And what Daniel 6 says is that an angel came and shut the mouths of the lions. Huh? Remember that from Sunday school? An angel came and shut the mouths of the lions. The, the specific... Reading of it says, an angel of the Lord came and shut the mouths of the lions. So that's a different type of an angel. You got your awesome angels, you got your giant angels, you got your archangels, you got your cherubim, your seraphim, and then there's the angel of the Lord. And we're not quite sure what that is. But commentators and people with overactive imaginations like myself think that that quite could possibly have been Jesus. It says Theophanes. The first time this thing happened in Babylon where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the fiery furnace. There's three of them. And then all of a sudden there's a fourth. And Nebuchadnezzar himself, evil bad king, says, Oh my gosh, there's another guy in there. And he looks as if he's the son of man or a son of God. He looks like, like there's something divine about that thing going on. And so we think that that could have been another theophanies or another uh, manifestation of Jesus. Uh, the, the Logos, the, the, the guy that was with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, the creation of time, the very man that created everything himself, was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Jesus himself, the, the man who created everything that spoke existence into being, was in the dark pit with Daniel. You guys remember Psalms 23? Hmm? You know that one? I've memorized it in a couple of different versions, so when I quote it, it's going to come all muddled. 
I've got it in King James because it sounds so cool in King James. And then NIV makes a little bit more sense. Lord, Lord is my shepherd. Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. NIV says, I lack for nothing. I don't need anything. Lord is my shepherd. And this is the the best part. He makes me lie down in green pastures beside still waters or quiet waters. Both of them come through. Still and quiet. And then he says, he restores my soul. Or the other one is he refreshes my soul. Daniel learned this secret of life. Guarantee it. Why? Because Daniel's always dreaming. Like it's almost as if Daniel's nighttime visions, the seasons in the night, his dream life is actually projecting his success in life. And so when the Lord says, I want I want I want you to rest, I want to pull you beside still waters. I want to refresh you. I want to restore your soul. I want to make you lie down and go to sleep. Ah, well, we need that. It's called vision. It's called prophecy. God wants to give you a dream and a vision for your future. Why? It's because you're going to need it. You're going to need a vision. You're going to need a sign. You're going to need a dream. You're going to need that vivid target to hit. And God's going to give you one. If you don't have one, you're going to get one. Do you have a specific dream, vision, prophecy over your life? If you don't, keep on contending until you get one. Each and every time there's an invitation, go for it. It just might be today where you get your prophetic word for your life. It could be tomorrow. Uh, for all of you young folk out there, young folk, I don't know, how young is young folk these days? Uh, John and Marina are doing presence night tonight. I've, uh, I've commissioned Marina to do prophetic ministry. And so if you don't have one, come tonight too. See what happens. It's another invitation. Don't forsake an invitation. But it gets you through tough times. What's the next part of that prayer? It makes me lie down by streams of water. Uh, he restores and refreshes my soul. What's the next line? You guys remember it? Although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. NIV, I think, says, although I'm walking through, a, through darkness where nothing makes sense. You're, this is the most amazing part. He is with me. Jesus is with you. He's with you when you're in a furnace. And he's with you when you're in a pit. He is with you. You know what I want to wonder? How come Jesus wasn't there before I got into the hole? You ever wonder that? Was that just me, right? Wait a minute, Lord. I mean, I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were asking the same thing. You know, how come the angel of the Lord didn't come before they kicked us into the fire? How come the angel of the Lord didn't come before Darius kicked him into the lion's pit? I don't know. But what I do know is that when we are in darkness, when we are in pain, when we are in fear, and if we are a believer, and if we have a vision for our life, the word of God says that he is there with us in the midst of our darkness. Even when we can't see him, even when we can't feel him, 
even when it doesn't seem like he's answering our prayers, he is there each and every time. The next part's really cool with the prayer. Um, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Oh, I forgot the rod and the staff part, didn't I? Yeah, he's a, uh, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you know what that symbolizes? It symbolizes power and authority. Moses had a rod and he had a staff. He had a Pharaoh's rod because he had the authority of a king and he had a staff to beat sheep with it. I'm sorry, that wasn't right. Um, he had a staff for power, a staff for protection, a staff to kill wolves. Huh? And we have, we have this. When you align your heart with Jesus, when you accept him into your heart, um, the amazing thing is that you get his authority and you get his power. It's like being a spiritual cop. Cops have a badge for their authority and they've got a gun for power. And so do you. You've got the Bible as your authority and you've got the Holy Spirit as your power. Use it. Power and authority. They comfort you once you realize you've got them in your pockets. Then he makes a table in the presence of your enemy. And surely grace and goodness will go with you for the rest of your days and you'll live in the house of the Lord forever and ever. You know what that is? That's validation. That's validation that the dream and the valley that you went through is all part of God's plan, if, it, if you will, but it's all part of God's promises and it's all part of God's hope to get you through whatever you're going through. You will go through valleys and you will go through tribulations and it's going to be hard. But you know what's in the valley? It's called character development. It's going to make you a better person. It's going to make you stronger. It's going to make you sharper. It's going to make you faster. It's going to make you leaner. It's going to make you meaner. So embrace the valley. Evase that process. I'm not saying embrace the darkness. No, just know that Jesus is with you in that darkness. Some of us need to go through the valley. Why? It's because we have given a vision. We've been given the dream that we've got to do it. We've got to get to the other side. If you bounce in the middle of the valley, if you peace out, if you quit, if you like... If I didn't go to school to face my enemy, I wouldn't have the testimony I have today. Way too many times in Christian life, we get way too comfortable, way too easy... God takes us into a valley and we bounce out of it because it's too hard. When he wants to, he wants to show us what's next. This is the validation of the Holy Spirit. All right. Now, what's the moral of the story? What's the moral of the story of Daniel in the lion's den? Daniel, he is, he's a man of character. Uh, he's trustworthy. He's committed to excellence. Uh, he can't, he's uncorruptible. He doesn't take bribes. He's a good little boy. And God saves him from lions. So the, the Aesop's fable, and it's not a fable, by the way. It's true, it happened. There were lions. But the, if you want to put it in the Aesop's fable category, which is probably what you learned in Sunday school, if you're good, God will protect you. Hmm? And it's true on a high level. But there's way more going on in this story than that good little boys and girls don't get eaten by lions. God protects good little boys and girls. 
There's more, to, there's more to the story than that. This is a deep, deep spiritual thing that's going on. Where Daniel gets put into a pit to be slashed open and eaten. Do you know that Jesus was put into a pit too? But he lived and experienced a torment and a punishment that Daniel should have received. But Jesus receives it for us instead. So as he's in this hole with evil, we'll just call them evil lions now. Right? These are bad lions now. This is Scar. Right? See? I got Thank you. Anyway, so Scar the lion. So Jesus gets put into the pit with Scar the lion, and they roll the tombstone over him, and he does get cut. He does get scratched. He, he does die, and he dies for us. And then he comes out of that tomb with glory. See, that's the true meaning of this story is that Jesus dies the death, lives the life, and resurrects for us. That's the true meaning of the story. So maybe maybe you've got this story in the back of your mind, and maybe you've got some church hurt because you thought because the Sunday school teacher told you if you're a good boy and if you're a good little boy and a good little girl, and if your morals are upstanding, then bad things won't happen to you. Do I need to say that again? It's a fallacy. It's not what the text is trying to communicate. The, the text is communicating and, and, and showing us Jesus in the future. That's the true nature of the story. To say that all you've got to do is be good and God's going to bless you? Uh, uh, no. Surrendering your life to Jesus, praying to him, not compromising on the gospel, being willing to lose your riches and your, your, and your beauty and... Your security for doing the right thing. That's that's for doing it for for because Jesus paid it all for us. That's what it's really all about. To be the type of Christian that people love to hate. <laughs> to be the type of Christian that says, I hate that guy, but for some reason I love that guy. He, you know, he's so happy it makes me mad. She's got so much joy in her life, it's annoying. Right? They're strange. They laugh way too much. And the things that break their hearts, I don't have anything for. They're strange people. That's what we are, we're strange people. And get the band and the ushers to come to the front. If you don't know, if you don't know my Jesus that gets into my valley, you can. If you don't know my Jesus that that is with you in the fire, you can. When you get into a big giant fight with your spouse. And it's darkness all around. Jesus is with you. When you're about to lose your job and you feel like your life has fallen apart, Jesus is with you. When you get a doctor's report that's putting a timeline on your life, Jesus is with you. He is in the valley of the shadow of death. But he has prepared a table for us. 
in the presence of everything that has done us wrong in this life. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. If you want to know my Jesus, who was with me, when I was a junior high boy, scared to death for his life, thinking that I was going to die the next day or like this guy was going to find me at my house. If you want to know the Jesus that was with me in my darkest night, I encourage you to raise your hand. I see you, honey. I see you. 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 God bless you guys. Oh, let's just give you authority and power right now. Like this is, we can just bypass everything right now. For those of you that raised your hands, I want you to raise them both as if you're going to receive something. God, right now we just impart into our children. We impart into them authority and power from on high. Because they are citizens of a new kingdom. This country is pretty cool and amazing and we have a lot of freedom, but your kingdom is better. Your country is better. So God, make us, a, make us residents of, new, of this new country. Make us Christians that people are like, I want what they've got. I want it. It's fascinating to me. God, may, for those that rose their hands today, may kings fall in love with them. May people of high influence fall in love with them. May people who... Uh, are mean and nasty and vindictive and horrible. May they fall in love with them. If you can do it for Nebuchadnezzar, if you can allow Nebuchadnezzar to write a part of your holy book, you can do it for anybody. So we thank you so much for the transformation that's taking place. God, right now I pray for this offering. I pray you just bless it to its full extent. We know that you're doing amazing things in this church, in this community, in this city. Help us to be good Daniels so that our city will lack for nothing. Our community will be will benefit from this church called Granite Creek. I pray this in your name. Amen.